Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to episode number 312 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is St. Patrick's Day. Happy St. Patrick's Day, everyone. March 17th, 2014. Got a big show for you talking about the first week of USC Spring Football. Got Dan Weber coming up a little bit later on. And Coach Harvey Hyde in the first segment. Questions, comments, you got any of those, email us, podcast at uscfootball.com or call us at 206 206- 888-6755. Leave a voicemail. Try to keep it under a minute or go to peristylepodcast.com. Leave a voicemail right there on our webpage as well. All right, well, let's jump in with Coach Harvey Hyde. What's going on, Coach? How you doing? Ryan, how you doing, my friend? Uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful day in Southern California. And uh, for all of you out there, no matter where you're listening, hang in there. If it's raining or snowing, <laughs> eventually it'll start stop it and we'd love a little water here in southern california but can't really complain about the weather ryan no it's pretty good i just came back from palm springs and you're out there in catalina i'm back in hermosa beach it's pretty nice everywhere so it's not too bad and uh, before we jump into everything coach just want to thank our sponsor southern california tickets sctickets.com is their website or you can call them at 800-888-7287 if you need tickets for you want to go to concert any kind of theater of course, sporting events, you can go to sctickets.com, and they will help you out. Well, Coach, uh, but since I was in Palm Springs for my wife's birthday this weekend, I did not get to go to USC football practice on Saturday, which I know you were down there. So I'm sorry I missed you, but I wanted to like get your, your thoughts because this is the first practice you've seen under head coach Steve Sarkeesian for USC. You're exactly right, Ryan, and uh... – I was anticipating uh, to, uh, you know, didn't know what to expect and uh, wanted to go down with a clear head and form my own opinion. I know a lot of people out there are uh, following the progress of USC Trojan football, and uh, I always give you an honest opinion on how I feel about everything, so I'm going to do that again, whether it's negative or positive, but start smiling, everyone. Uh, the old coach uh, had a wonderful time down there. First of all, I can enjoy practice because they didn't have the rap music on, okay? There wasn't any music going on. I could uh, pay attention. Uh, players uh, were listening. It wasn't like they were trying to keep beat to music, but they, it was like a study hall at times where you're out there and you're learning and, and then you follow through and uh, understand why you made mistakes. There was a lot of teaching going on, a lot of enthusiasm. Uh, and I thought that the players physically looked bigger and stronger than they ever had during the Lane Kiffin era. Now, I don't know if they're eating differently or if they're on a different weight program, which I assume they are, not that the other one wasn't good. But this one certainly does show the difference as far as the conditioning of the players, the size of the players, and how much more physical they look. Now, some players may have lost weight, but they look more physical. Some players, even if they were 300 pounds, gained some weight, but look better with their, with their weight distribution. Uh, I thought that, uh, that when I looked at the, the couple of the players, uh, especially the defensive line, linebackers, the way some of the receivers were playing and defensive backs and linebackers were playing, I, I said, Hey, now this is the way a USC football team should look. And what really did dot the I was when I saw two recruits there, both five-star recruits or one of four-star recruits, excuse me, when I saw Smith there. And I looked at him and I said, now this guy looks bigger than the players that are in uniform." He is one of the biggest men men I've seen, and he is a nice kid. Not that they aren't all nice kids, but he's a a very physical-looking individual, and 
and this is what I think uh, the program is supposed to look like. These type of recruits coming in that can play, pass the eye test. It's very important that you pass the eye test. And then there are skilled abilities on top of that and learning how to play. I think the freshmen that came in in February are adapting, competing. And I was really looking at, excuse me for rambling on, stop me if you want me no, to, you're Ryan. Fine. You're fine, Coach. But I wanted people to know that I watched George Farmer a lot. There's a lot of people saying, what's happening with George Farmer? What's happening? How's he, how's he running or is he, has his rehab gone well? I think it's gone excellent. He looked great out there running his routes. He looked big. In fact, when I saw him standing next to Darius Rogers, I think he's a little bit bigger and heavier than Darius Rogers. So if that's true, then the receivers are coming along. I watched Stevie Mitchell. He's getting there. He's not completely 100%. That's why they're holding him out. But what does he need to prove? You need him in the fall. The same with like Leonard Williams. He's not going reps, but what does he need to prove? So, uh, and Dawson, Dawson looks absolutely good too, as far as getting rehab back and bigger. Did not see Walker. I know he was out there, but did not see him to see physically how he was looking. So as far as the team itself, the enthusiasm, I kept looking at Coach Sarkeesian to see if I might see a little smile on his face. Uh, he was trying not to smile, not to give it away. But I know in his mind he was thinking it wasn't this way at Washington. I've said it a hundred times, and I've told everyone out there I wouldn't exchange or change the USC roster with any other Pac-12 team. But they look like football players. This is the way it's supposed to look at USC. Be physical, be aggressive, be nice. Uh, uh, the clock on the field indicating running all the time. Uh how much time is left in the period. So if you're a coach and you're coaching, you can look at the clock and you know, oh, I didn't get to this. I've got to get to this during this period because I'm supposed to work on it with the group or the team next period. So, you know, that helps you when you're coaching. And uh, I thought that was great uh, to see people out there, parents out there, people talking and happy and excited uh, Tessalone was smiling, which is great. You know, you know, it's just a good feeling to see parents intermingling back and forth. I miss some of the parents, of course, of players that were there before. They're gone. And one thing uh, I really noticed, you always used to hear me be critical about, when you make a mistake, take a lap. Well, you know, I used to call that the Pop Warner drill. You don't do that at USC. But you miss too many turns as far as, what you need to do as far as getting back in there and correct that mistake and run that play again just because you might have fumbled the football or dropped the pass, take a lap. No, you don't, you don't do that at major college football. I didn't see that at all. So that wasn't going on any longer. Uh, so it was good. And the practices, two hours, it's over. And kids appreciate that when they know when it's going to be over. They can go hard they know after two hours, we've reached our, our point of learning anything more, go hard for two hours, get off the field, and do what we have to do. So as far as me on my first practice, as far as going out there, these are the things I saw. These are the things I liked. I'm not, uh, I, yes, I'm being positive on just about <laughs> everything I saw, which I can do because that's what I saw. So as we move along, uh, Ryan, uh, with other practices, uh, they're off this week. As far as the Trojans, uh, I'll be uh, be able to con continue with this evaluation. Oh, we appreciate it, Coach. And uh, the one thing I think we cut out when you were talking about that the the big recruit that you saw. Who was the, what was the name of that? That part cut out. Mama, from... Damian Mama. Damian Mama. Okay, so you saw him down there, and he definitely he oh, definitely yeah. looks like. I'm a... gonna tell you what, and that's a man now. I mean, uh, he's one and a half people. Okay, he's not. He's not. <laughs> He's not one person. There's nobody that big. So, uh, you know, and, and you know, okay, I, I, I got to look at a couple of things. I think the offensive line has to come along a little bit more. Uh, uh, they move a lot of players around. A couple of the starters that they think is going to start is not out there this spring. 
So Jordan Simmons has got to come back and really get into it. Walker's got to come back and really get into it. And I think the tackle positions are both up for grabs. I would be a bit surprised if somebody came in and started at one of the offensive tackles. Wheeler's at one. Uh, the left tackle with Banner behind him. And the right tackle is, what's his name, Gertner. He's the right tackle. And uh, I don't remember who played behind him. But uh, I think that we need to get a couple of bar bar fighters on the offensive line, <laughs> not, not country club guys, you know. we got some country club guys there right now. So we need to get a couple of guys that uh, like to go in the bar and have a beer once in a while. Not that I'm advocating these players go out and drink. <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, it's uh, just the attitude I'm talking about, okay? Gotcha, Coach. So, yeah, so uh, <laughs> – that that's basically it, and uh, you know, uh, uh, as far as the first practice, I was there the whole time, enjoyed every moment of it, talked to people, had a wonderful time. It's a positive attitude around there, and uh, it was all work, positive work, and uh, they got better that practice. So I always say, every day in every way, you try to get a little bit better and better. Well, I think the Trojans did on Saturday. Well, Coach, you mentioned the, uh, the like not doing a lap. I mean, there's certainly some differences. It, it looks a lot different period-wise, I think, than what we saw from the Pete Carroll days. They're just different kind of periods. Like Lane Kiffin's practices kind of looked similar periods to what uh, Pete Carroll was doing, but at a different pace. Now, this pace is fast again, like we saw with Pete Carroll, probably even faster. But they're different-looking periods. They do things differently. It's his own, you know, he has, he's bringing his own style to this. Uh, but one of the things is because they go so fast, and, and Steve Sarkeesian mentioned this on Tuesday, they don't really have a lot of time to evaluate each individual play. So if a guy screws up, they're not saying go for a lap. They want him to run the next rep, and then they have to kind of look at the film and you know correct it later. What, what do you think of that approach where it's you're going so fast that you can't really even – it's almost like you can't even coach while the guys are playing because they just have to get the reps in that you can kind of fix it later. Well, I, I agree with that. That's why I used to coach completely all the time. I, we didn't have time to hold up the whole practice to, to help one kid. Hey, wait a minute, come back. Let me tell you what you Now you've got 100 guys watching. No. Keep it going. Correct off the tape. Correct off the field. Run more plays. Run more plays. Then you've got more plays to evaluate on, too. So I agree with that 100%. I mean, uh, coach uh, off the field. Once you get to that point where you're doing team and you want to make it a game situation in the game, you don't stop the game. You don't stop the game and say, I've got to coach him up. The game continues. So you've got to do it that way, and you've got to make it game-like conditions, and then you coach it up later off the film. Because that way a kid can really see what he did wrong. And you don't have 100 guys waiting or 50 guys waiting for you to correct one player. So it's really important that you keep it going. That's why you can practice two hours. That's why you know you got a lot done and you can get out of there. So, uh, no, I agree with this method 100%. What other aspect, Coach, you've brought up in the past, and I actually uh, asked Steve Sarkeesian about this when he came on the podcast, and it was about the rehab players. And uh, I wanted to get where your thoughts on what they were doing because it seems like when there's an opportunity to get mental reps and, and, and get on the field and – and kind of learn instead of, you know, riding a bike or being in the, you know, weight room down below where you can't see anything what's going on. It seemed like these players are more involved in practice. That used to drive me crazy when, <laughs> when you didn't know where the players, that drove me crazy. You knew that. Yeah. That's why you bring it up. I know that drove me crazy when I used to see a guy rehabbing, sitting over on a bike, talking with the cheerleaders or whatever he's doing over there <laughs> instead of paying attention to what's going on. I, I wouldn't want to get well. This is a pretty good deal. <laughs> Sit here, ride my bike, talk to people. I don't have to do anything. But you're not getting any better. You don't even know what they're working on out there. You're not paying attention. I used to see that always on the sideline during a game. Now, here you got me going again. <laughs> where players weren't even paying attention to what play was being run. Or, you know, they weren't even talking to the, to the coach. They wouldn't even go in the huddle. In fact, no one even knew what play was called to start with, to watch it. But normally, if you didn't see quarterbacks standing with a chart, you know, communicating with everybody what play is being called and so on. But, uh, yes, you're exactly right, Ryan. And I'm sorry I didn't bring this up earlier. 
when they go through the walkthroughs, which is like the classroom on the field, rather in, in the classroom, you do it on the field. Because I didn't believe people could remember in the classroom what you put on the board. You've got to come out and do it again anyway because they don't remember it. So, yes, every time they taught something new and where the groups went, you saw all the rehab players with their groups, no matter what they were doing, watching, listening to the techniques, watching to what the coverages are, watching what the routes would be, watching what the blocking schemes are. So what they're doing is they're learning mentally they're not going full speed at it, but they're going to hobble through it or they're going to get it through it somehow so they understand it where they're communicating with the team and they understand what's going on. I agree 100%, Ryan. That's one heck of a good point. Um, and one other thing before we get a couple questions, Coach, just about the assistant coaches out there. And you you watch different things because you've you know you've run practices before. I think you you definitely have a different way of watching than me. I, wish, I want to try to see it through your eyes sometimes because – Certainly, I think I could learn a lot from that. But the way the assistant coaches were handling what they had to do and in practices and how that went, did you like what you saw there? I did like what I saw. Why? They were, they were trying to beat every player to the next drill. They, did, they showed by example. They didn't say, I'll meet, go on down there and I'll meet you down there. And the group would run down there and the coach would just sort of walk down there. Everybody's running where they're running. Everybody's trying to do some drills before the players. They rush to the drill. And they push each other around, and they have a lot of fun. And, you know, you don't have to yell. I don't hear any yelling on the field. Now, I'm, I'm telling Ryan, I don't hear any yelling. It's all teaching. When you're in a classroom, you don't yell at the students to teach. You teach. And if you have a question, raise your hand. That's why I'm here. I want to make sure you understand what we're doing. And that's what I see what's happening out there. A lot of walkthrough. No yelling or screaming. They don't expect the players to know all the things because it's a whole new scheme. And I think they're teaching it right, offensively and defensively. And I think they're building confidence with their players. Remember, this team won 10 games. These players have won 10 games. I mean, we have never won 10 games at Washington. So you've got to have respect for those players. And you've got to let them believe that you believe in them. Now we want to take what you've already accomplished and make it better for both of us. And I think they're using that type of approach, Ryan. Um, all right. Well, great great insights there, Coach. Thanks for that. I want to get to a couple of questions if we can. Uh, from what you've seen, does Max Brown have a real shot to be the starter this year? That's from Tarek. He wanted to know. Well, it's a good question. Does he have a real shot? I think he has a shot. A real shot, I think what you have to do to become the max, to become the starter, he's got to be able to prove that he's the better quarterback. Right now, you've got a quarterback that's had 14 starts, 10 wins. And that experience is something that the players understand. They respect him. Most valuable play in the Las Vegas Bowl. So it can't be equal. Cannot be equal. You can't say, well, both quarterbacks are equal. If both quarterbacks are equal, Cody's going to start. It's just a natural thing because players know who the best quarterback is. They're at it every practice, too, and they see every rep more than we do. They watch it over and over and over on tape, and they know who's the best or who's uh, behind the scenes is getting said, great play, and you need to improve on this in some situations. We don't hear that. We don't know. All we do is watch and be able to determine if he did the right thing. So I think – uh, he has a definite chance of starting, and he looks good, and he's bigger and stronger. I think he's really made some great progress, but I think Cody's gotten better too. So I think he has more confidence too in what he's doing. So I think everybody's getting better. And Green, the young freshman that was there, I think he performed better than what I expected him to perform, along with a couple of the walk-ons. I thought threw the ball pretty good. Uh, we're not, you know... Uh, evaluating them as far as who's going to start or who's not going to start. But I think Cody's better. I think Max is better than what he was last year. And I think that that Max is going to have to be better than Cody, better than Cody to beat Cody out. If it's equal, Cody will be the starter. I agree with you 100% there, Coach. Uh, and speaking of the quarterbacks, James had a question. Do you think they'll use Jalen Green in any wildcat formations and plays next year? No, I don't think so. I think they'll redshirt him. Why, why would you burn a redshirt year? 
Uh, I think that I would keep him. Uh, I would let him get a lot of reps. But right now on Saturday, the main reps went to Brown and Kessler. Uh, I think he played better than I expected him to do. He's just a young kid that would still be in high school. Uh, no, uh, I don't think that I would burn a year uh, to do that. I think I'd let him get better in what he's doing, and maybe someday he could be the heir apparent. So you don't want too many guys too close to their own age group anyway, year of why eligibility-wise and so on, and he'll get himself a nice education. And down the road, if his, if, he, if they do decide to, to, to rotate some quarterbacks, that's great. But, uh, you know, I'm not big into that rotating stuff. You right. hear me all the time <laughs> talk about that. I'm not, I'm not big. This is Manor Merrill's, buddy. <laughs> this is the real deal. You know what I mean? And uh, I'm for getting my best players on the field, all 22 of them, uh, no matter what they want to be. It's got to be on the, the field to help your team win. So, uh, And I'll tell you what, there are some great players out there, and there's some some positions that I think that totally are tremendous. I, I think the quarterback situation, since you brought that up, to have two people competing like this, they both get better. They both get better because they have to compete every day. And I like it not having three players really competing, but then they don't get as many reps. So uh, not that Max uh, wasn't a great player, but I think it helps Max to go to another school uh, because uh, he wasn't happy there. And you gotta, you got to have happy players. And also it was good for uh, Brown and, and Kessler. So it, it's working out for everyone. For Jalen Green, I, I mean, I only got to see him throw that first day on Tuesday, and uh, I, I, I liked the ball as it came out of his hands a lot of times. But there was a real, at least the first day, maybe it was first day jitters. I don't know if it changed, but there were some real accuracy problems. I think there was a lot of velocity be- behind where he's throwing the ball, but there were short kind of you know touch patterns that he was whipping balls that could you know go over way over the guy's head or or skip five feet in front of him. Um, so there were there was definitely some some issues there. I don't know if it was first day jitters, but did it look like he kind of got a little bit better throwing the football around on Saturday? No, I, I agree with you. I agree with you. You know, he's trying sometimes too hard. Uh, you see, you make the comment, "Who is he throwing that ball to?" Yeah, and then you also said, uh, "There's a wounded duck," <laughs> uh, and uh, you know, those things just happen when you're a young player. You know, he's got a lot of pressure on him, but. Uh, yeah, I agree with you 100%. But you can't expect him to be at the same level these other two guys are either. So you hug him and you say, hey, that's better than I could do. You know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, one last question for you, Coach. Uh, this is from Melvin. Oh, you can ask me as many questions as you want. All right. Well, this, this is the last one we have. We can chat a little bit more. But uh, Melvin said he recently saw that Texas A&M and Pitt both have come out saying that they're going to skip the annual spring game because they get – more out of the practice time. How do you feel about uh, the necessity of having a spring game versus using the time to practice and not have a spring game? What do you think Sark feels about this? That's from Melvin. Well, I don't know what uh, Coach Sarkeesian feels about it, but I, I, I like it. Let me tell you why I like it. I think you've got to have a game situation uh, before the fall. What I mean by that, I don't know if you have to go as far as staying in the hotels what a lot of people do the night before just to go through the whole procedure. So when the fall comes around, it isn't the first time you've done that. A lot of kids out of high school have never stayed in a hotel before, even know what you do in a hotel. Why do you go to a hotel? What type of meetings do you do there? What do we go there for? Uh, I think it's important to go through every single phase of what you have to do game day. And I used to do that in the spring. I mean, from headsets, we used to try the headsets out, because I want to know how the best way it is to have who upstairs, who downstairs, uh, how we work together, all the phone lines hooked up. And sometimes our equipment guys got to figure it out, too, what to have on the sideline, what not to have on the sideline, uh, how I like the kids to sit on the bench. When they come off the field, uh, do they sit down or get on one knee? Do they stand? Do I get everybody over there? I, w- I want them to go through all that. I want to practice everything that we're going to use on game day. Every single thing from warm-ups to, to the way we go back in the locker room, when we come out of the locker room, what we do when we go back after warm-ups. I want them to have had as many reps at everything we do before it's game day. I mean, I'm talking about coaches, too, but there's a lot of coaches that haven't worked together here on this staff. 
So we've got to understand how that works. We've got to also work about getting the plays in on time and no coaches on the field whatsoever. But now when you're coaching, you've got players on the field and coaches, I mean coaches on the field. So player can look over and you can yell him. Coaches got to learn to work off the sideline too on what's going on. Now I'm not saying you have to scrimmage live if you're talking about that, but you've got to practice game conditions. Punt team, you've got to make sure you have 11 guys out there. Uh, punt return team, All right, make sure you've got 11 guys out there. Kickoff team, all these different rotations. And as the kickoff return team goes out there, obviously the offensive team is huddled up getting ready to listen to the play and, 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 and a play before it happens. And the same thing with the defense. On third down, the defense is getting ready to go out there if they're going to punt the ball. So you get together and you tell them all what the heck you want to tell them before they go out back on the field after the punt. So all of these things need to be practiced over and over and over so that you're good at every single thing you do. And you have officials there. And you make sure it's all officiated. You go through the whole thing. Even take them in at halftime. They say, now, when we come in at halftime, this is where you go. You've got so many minutes to go to the bathroom and do what you need to do before the coaches come in and we have our you know, group meetings and then team meetings. So all of that is very, very important, Ryan. So I think a spring game, now I'm not talking about the scrimmage and hitting, hitting part, but the procedures of a football game need to be practiced. All right, Coach. Great stuff. Thank you very much for sharing the insights. I was learning stuff, too, obviously, because I wasn't able to go to this practice. I'll be all, all the rest of them. But uh, we'll, we'll look forward to seeing you out there again. And thanks again for coming on the show and sharing your insights. Buddy, it's always great to be with you and all of our listeners. We want to thank you very much for your questions. And uh, you can tell the enthusiasm is back on all of our part. And uh, if you're a Trojan football fan, and I know you must be, you wouldn't be listening uh, so far, on what I've seen after the third day, I think this team is ahead of last year's team after the third day. So put that put it that way. And remember, they won 10 games last year. So not too bad. All right. Well, thanks again, Coach, and everyone else. We'll be back in 30 seconds to go talk some more USC Spring Football with uscfootball.com beat writer Dan Weber. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. We're back here at the Peristyle Podcast, joined by uscfootball.com beat writer Dan Weber, who was at the first three USC spring practices. Week one is now in the books. wanted to get his thoughts on everything that he saw and have a few questions from you guys for him to answer. So, Dan, welcome to the show and just kind of wanted to check in and uh, what do you think of the, the first week of spring football? Not bad, not bad at all. I mean, I like I like the offense. I think the defense. Uh, I mean, one of the things that was a little worrisome was uh, uh, a team that had gone through, you know, three coaching changes was going to get a fourth. I think one of the things that Sark has done really well is read the uh, read this team, read these players, understand uh, you know what he's going to change, but knowing how. Uh, they were moving in the right direction in a lot of ways, and I think the you know the updating of the of the offense, the up tempo, and uh, you know, kind of running the same plays, only running them faster, but running them with wider line splits and and things like that. I think you know that was like the next evolution of where they had to go anyway. So I, it doesn't look like it's as destabilizing, and and I know you know we all were told. That uh, you know Justin Wilcox is you know a four three guy coming in here and now he's, he's not a three you know four three guy he's a three guy you know he's uh, basically uh, you know looking at a kind of a you know three four situation and uh, not all that unlike what they did last year so I think in both areas there's not a lot of change that, that's that's being made uh, just updates and, and going in the right direction and 
doing things that are uh, really suited to the personnel, like the assistant coaches, uh, you know, the ones uh, we've gotten to talk to and, and uh, this attention to, we've really uh, liked uh, what we've seen. Uh, I know that in a defensive backs, defensive line guys is love. Uh, you know, we've got um, uh, Tim Drevno with the offensive line. They work so far away from us. We don't get to see all that much, you know, up close, but uh, you're hearing nothing but good things. Uh, the uh, offense, you know, the running backs uh, feel real good about themselves. I think one of the things they feel real good about is they're, they look like they're going to be seams and they look like they're going to be people in front of them blocking. And uh, you see uh, continuity again from last year to this year. So uh, it's not as different as uh, probably everybody thought it was going to be, including maybe even the coaches. I think it's, uh, it's more of keeping on, keeping on, and moving in the direction that they were moving at the end of last year. The uh, pace of practice is something we talked about after day one quite a bit, and I wasn't there for Thursday or Saturday. Did that did that change at all, or are you still seeing the, the high speed just kind of coming in and out and not a lot of time to really teach in between plays, but getting in there and running as many reps as possible? Well, uh, they're doing a nice job of teaching in the pre-practice. They're obviously, uh, as Hart said, they're doing a 45-minute walkthrough each day for practice. So I think that's where a lot of the teaching is going. And, and, you know, instead of just doing drills, they're doing teaching drills uh, early in practice. So what they do is once they start going team and once they start going after, you know, offense, defense, uh, even 7-on-7, 11-on-11, there's no break in between. There's nobody staring at a play sheet. There's nobody uh, agonizing, you know, reading uh, nine or ten words off of a wristband. Uh, that's all gone. As Cody said uh, the other day, he said, we used to come out of the huddle and we'd have 15 seconds to run the play. He said, now we're calling the play with 23 or 24 seconds left on the, on the uh, play clock. So that's a whole different – so it's that time in between – but I also think uh, the plays themselves, uh, especially for the quarterback, I think the action is speeded up. He's not under the center, and he's getting a, you know, he's getting a read and getting a look uh, very often. Uh, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, they're throwing a lot of quick stuff, uh, and and yet they're also throwing the deep ball. It's, it's kind of an interesting uh, combination of how they're how they're doing it. But as um, Max Brown was saying the other day. The difference is instead of you know lofting the ball and, and they're really being asked to drive it to drive it in and 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 throw it on the money on time in traffic uh, without you know this sense of oh what's going to happen if we throw the ball to a tight end you know over the middle uh oh what no that's what you're supposed to do throw it to the tight end over the middle if there's a linebacker nearby that's fine just don't don't throw it to the linebacker throw it to the <laughs> tight end you know it's uh, kind of what they're doing, and all of them are doing that. So I'd say they're farther along than probably we would have uh, expected them to be, although the more you think about it, it's not doing so much different that uh, that they would have uh, you know, taken a kind of a step backwards as they were learning. Uh, and I think a credit to Sark for reading everything uh, in terms of the situation and the transition and really getting it right. And uh, they're obviously teaching it right. They didn't do any outside throwing almost at all in the winter, but they did a lot of walkthroughs and a lot of uh, meetings and a lot of classroom stuff that they really seem to be, you know, right where they need to be. Um, Quarterback-wise, I wanted to kind of get your thoughts where the the battle or the competition stands right now, and what what you saw from from Jalen Green, the the incoming freshman. But really, you know, how much Max Brown's done to try to you know over overtake Cody Kessler and that's if that's even a possibility you know I wouldn't think you know I like I like Max what I would like to see him do what you would ideally like to see happen is that Max becomes the uh, a quarterback that USC could win any game with uh, so that you go into next season with two quarterbacks that you feel like you've got a chance to win any game with it would it probably would be difficult to see him uh, overtaking, uh, you know, Cody at this at this point in time after what what happened last year with Cody's development, winning you know winning ten games, probably could have won twelve. 
uh, he had a really good year. And, uh, and obviously, Max is coming out of high school, uh, you know, a year and a half ago as the best, um, best high school you know, dropback quarterback in the country, pro-star quarterback in the country. So uh, uh, you want him to be that good. You want to be able to win games with him. I'm not sure you see a situation where he absolutely uh, takes the job away from Cody. Uh, Cody kind of has to give it up, I think, a little bit, and it doesn't look like he's he's going to do that. Uh, I mean, I think a lot of these things, what you see is on the quick throws and all that. You know, Cody looks at where he has to throw it, and that you know the ball's there. Uh, and uh, I do think this offense takes uh, as much as Max ran it in high school. I think it takes uh, you know a lot of uh, advantage of of what what Cody does well. But I do think that you know in terms of the competition. What you want to do, what you want to see, is um, that uh, that Max gets, you know, to near the level where where Cody was and 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 is going to be, and so you have that sense of we've got two guys. Uh, if you're a USC coach, you look at it and say, you know, we got two guys here we could win a game with, and and that's pretty good insurance if you go into a situation like that. And then the other thought about Jalen Green is he. I haven't seen him play other than, you know, some video and some high school games on, on TV. Uh, seen him in person. He's way farther along than I thought in terms of and, – and you don't appreciate arm strength until you see it in person, but uh, his arm strength, his ability to, you know, deliver the ball in traffic, uh, his, his ability to drive the ball, his, uh, he's not afraid to, you know, make a tough throw. Uh, he's been very impressive. Um, so they're – you know, farther along uh, with him, I think, by far than I think anybody would have had uh, reason to expect. So that's a plus as well. Um, defensively, I wanted to kind of see what you what you felt uh, out there for the first week and how different this three four scheme looked than the five two that that uh, Clancy Pendergast ran. I think it's a little more uh, with the secondary. I think they're they're definitely trying to. Uh, they want to be physical and they want to redirect people and they don't want people running free and they're not afraid to come up and play them. Uh, uh, you know, really uh, tell you, we're not going to let you run, run loose. You're going to have somebody uh, pushing on you, redirecting you, trying to, you know, get you to, you know, be in, in, in control. I mean, they really, uh, and uh, you know, you like that. Uh, it looks a little different up front, but, but not greatly so because Clancy kind of, Ran, uh, ran schemes very similar. So uh, what looks different, I think, is Antoine Woods comes in at 310 pounds and looking like he's in just absolutely great shape and wants to, you know, really, really be a factor. Kenny Bigelow, 315, just looks uh, he looks like he can play. I mean, he looks like he wants to play. looks like he's grown up. That's how he talks to you. Uh, you know, feels very good about himself. Uh, when you look at Delvon Simmons, we, he was only there two days, but we saw him and you think, gosh, he really is six six, uh, big, you know, big rangy kid who can run, and we're still not sure what his weight is. Uh, so we're seeing some pretty good things, and that's without, uh, you know, without Leonard Williams, who's there and you know was in pads the other day too, but he's just not going to hit on that shoulder. But uh, but he's there for all the things they're doing and all the. You know all the you know teaching and 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 all of that kind of thing. So uh, um, pretty impressive uh, group. Claude Pilon, uh, I think, uh, is learning what it what it's going to take in terms of you know being in shape and and you know being ready to play at this at this level. But he's a big kid, probably 300 pounds also, and six five. And uh, they got a you know, defensive front that is pretty darn impressive. You put J.R. Tavai in there and. And uh, and Scott Starr uh, you know, on one side, and, and you got Jabari Ruffin. Uh, they've got some, you know, athletes, and, and Quentin Powell, and how they play that uh, that uh, you know weak side linebacker. Uh, it's uh, it, uh, you know you get a sense that this is a, uh, there won't be a great deal of disruption from where they were at the end of last year to you know where they're going to be. Uh, to start the season next year, and then all they got to do is figure out how the heck do you tackle Brad Hundley, and everything's good to go. I think at, at this point. All right. Uh, well, let's get to a couple questions. Um, let's go. I think we'll go with uh, Stephen Poway. 
He said, Coach Sarkeesian seems to be like a happy, quote-unquote, happy medium between the polar opposites of Kiffin, who is all all head, clearly an introvert, and Orgeron, all heart, clearly an extrovert. Do you think Pat Hayden wanted someone that was a little more balanced in this way? Yeah, you know, I, I think it just turns out that way. I mean, I think that probably there's a comfort level there. And, uh, you know, Coach Orgeron was probably – at one end of the scale that a lot of people were comfortable with, uh, uh, and the kids, you know, certainly were comfortable with him, and uh, I think fans were. But uh, but uh, Sark is kind of that, yeah, happy, kind of uh, m- you know, middle of the road sort of a guy. Doesn't look like he gets uh, too up or too down. Doesn't look like he's too much threatened by uh, by you know things that are going on or feeling the need. To, prove himself uh, and all of that that's uh, to me that's a great thing uh let's see and they said also pat hayden said from the beginning of his tenure as ad that he would stay with the university through the probation period since usc is set to go off probation in june do you expect pat hayden to turn in his resignation soon uh we all know he did not need to take the job and essentially did it as a service to the university that he loves have you heard anything to indicate one way or the other? That's also from Steve. I mean, that, that's kind of the sense I think of people around the program that, that you know that this was a, a, a service that he could offer to USC when he was asked by you know Max Nikias, and uh, and it was done with a, as he said you know from the very first that there would be kind of a time limit on how long this would be and uh, and that it would be you know connected to the the end of the sanctions and all that. So I guess most people have been operating under that kind of a, an assumption, but I don't know that anybody's been, you know, asking directly, you know, are you are you going to resign in June or anything like that? I mean, we haven't heard that, but it's kind of been an assumption, I think, that most people are working with that that, that there is kind of a, uh, that kind of a time frame, uh, you know, involved in, in, in the job. And obviously there's, it's a job where you, you get a lot of criticism, and uh, and it's a uh, high-profile, uh, not even easy job uh, negotiating through the, you know, the the head coach situations in uh, football, basketball, and baseball. All three of the the highest-profile sports have really had uh, had difficult issues and uh, you know, things that you know, not everybody is uh, is thrilled with. So uh, this has been a it hasn't been the uh, the easiest time, so uh, wouldn't be a surprise if uh, if something happened along those lines uh, after the uh, you know, the sanctions are uh, are over. Uh, let's see. John had a question. He said, "Just curious whether the Pac-12 will be retaining or hiring more competent referees." I believe that the Pac-12 remains the most penalized conference in the nation. From John, you know the idea of. It, 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 it kind of throws me off when you just talk about, in the same sentence, Pac-12 officials incompetent. It's just <laughs> like I, I kind of just kind of, <laughs> my, my, I get to start shaking, you know, a little bit. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I wish, uh, yeah, wish. But uh, in football or basketball, how it got off the track the way it did and, and, and the fact that they're, they're not terribly trusted, you know, by anybody, uh, it's really kind of a shame, but, uh, you know, I mean, I, re- I respect the heck out of the, uh, the last couple of supervisors and, uh, you know, this, uh, Tony Coretti, the NFL guy and what have you. And when you talk to him, you really like him and you really think, uh, I mean, he's as good an NFL referee as there is and, uh, does a heck of a job, you know, there and seems to be, uh, on top of things, it's just you wish you had a sense of confidence. Uh, and, and obviously, you can't uh, throw basketball in there for him, but you wish you had a sense of confidence with uh, with both of them. But they've gone to supervisors in both football and basketball, uh, and you know, over the recent years, and um, things don't seem to have gotten a great, great deal better. They're better. They're better than they were, but uh, they need to be better than they are. And uh, all we can, I guess, is, is hope and complain. And uh, it was ridiculous uh, for uh, as many Pac-12 teams to be at the very bottom of the NCAA list uh, uh, of most penalized. Obviously, they run more plays, and they're a little more uh, 
uh, you know, high risk, high reward offenses and things like that. But uh, you just wish you you had a confidence level and that that the guys calling the game were really uh, in charge of, of what's going on out there, not look like they're, you know, running for their lives. All right, and uh, we got one question. Here's a voicemail question for you. Uh, let me play it for you. Here you go. Hi, guys. It's Sean from Kentucky. Uh, I just had a comment that I wanted to make and get uh, Dan Weber's or Coach's uh, opinion on. But, you know, I hear a lot of people here in SEC country saying, you know, we should be happy with seven, eight wins next year. And, you know, I just don't see it. I mean, how many teams go through a year that's as tumultuous as what we did with three different coaches and still win ten games? I don't see it. I, I, I don't understand why eight games should be our ceiling. I honestly think we stroll into that Notre Dame and uh, UCLA game undefeated. I really do. Uh, I don't think Stanford is necessarily as good as what they have been. Uh, ASU loses a lot on defense, and I would not be surprised at all to, at the end of the year, be playing that Pac-12 championship game to see who goes to the playoffs. That would not surprise me at all. And I would love nothing more than for USC to reach that playoff and essentially flip the NCAA the bird just to let them know that the king of the West Coast is back. Y'all tried. They, I mean, they tried really hard to keep us down. But, you know, the thing is, the perennial powers in college football don't stay down for long. Uh, thanks and fight on. Okay. As an SEC guy myself, uh, probably the last place I'd go to ask for uh, uh, advice on how USC is going to do would be someone from the SEC. I mean, <laughs> let's face it, they didn't want to face the USC. They didn't want to deal with USC. They didn't want to play USC. And they sure as hell didn't want USC to be the other team in the uh, uh, you know, BCS championship game. That's why they are the smartest people in the world in terms of the people running the SEC. They figured it out. They saw the Oklahoma game and said, you know, that's not such a good thing. If we get to the championship game every year like we figured out we're going to do from now on, what if that USC team shows up? They figured out a way so that USC team wouldn't show up. So basically, SEC people probably don't want to spend a lot of time thinking about uh, USC. My guess would be if you want to take advantage of that, I would. Uh, You know, if they really believe you know, that's how many games they're going to win. You know, take advantage of them. Uh, they, they obviously don't know, and I don't disagree with you. I, I know people say, oh, you're, a, you know, sunshine pumping or every year. Da, da. I mean, I thought they could be pretty good last year, honestly. Turns out, you know, people might say, well, yeah, well, look what happened. And obviously that was a team that could have been 12-2. and two. And uh, like we were saying, uh, we, had, we had five questions before the season last year. Four of them we thought we could answer. The fifth, it was like going to the airport and saying, I wonder if the pilot of my plane is going to be crazy or not. (laughs) Is he going to crash it or is he going to actually fly it? Well, we knew what happened. You know, there wasn't much we could do. The pilot was the pilot. And that was the question that we couldn't answer. But this team probably has more talent than that team. And uh, so I think this team's got a pretty good shot. Uh, they figured out a way to kind of negotiate the, uh, you know, the the roster limitations and the issues and uh, probably have a better chance of negotiating that this year than they did last year. I think the schedule sets up pretty well. I mean, I think Stanford got half of their starters gone, offense and defense. Uh, that's when I'd want to play Stanford. That's two years ago, USC absolutely one of the most disgraceful uh, efforts ever uh, to lose that early season game at Stanford that that's basically set the tone for a, a disastrous year. Obviously, there's high risk reward in playing them the second game of the year, but uh, I would think that's something USC might want to want to you know look look forward to, take advantage of, and and, and go from there. But uh, but honestly. What guys in the SEC say about USC would probably be uh, just 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 figure it this way. Uh, whenever it comes to talking about football on the West Coast or USC, you will be by far the smartest guy in the room in the state, 
and in probably seven or eight states <laughs> just because you know something, okay? <laughs> SEC guys know football, and they know their football. Phoenix don't know a whole lot about other people's football. And I think it's getting to be a kind of an interesting situation next year because there are going to be four teams in the playoffs. And, and I think they're worried that probably two of them aren't going to be from the SEC. And an SEC team gets in a two-team play or two-game playoff like that, they may have to actually play two really good quarterbacks, two really good offenses. Uh-oh, does playing in the SEC get you ready for that? I don't know. I'm not sure Nick Saban knows either. He's starting to change, though. I think the SEC is realizing, you know, where is the future in, in college football? And uh, I think next year will be really interesting. But if I were SEC people, I might not get too high and mighty about where things are going in, uh, uh, you know, in college football in the next year or two because I think they're changing in the ways in which it's going to be uh, pretty hard to predict and, and the world probably isn't going to totally revolve around SEC football uh, and, and as, a, as far as the college game is concerned in the next few years. And it's going to be fun. I think uh, you might look like a genius if you uh, talk up S, uh, you know, Pac-12 football next couple of years. All right. Well, Dan, thanks again for uh, coming on and sharing the insights and everyone else. Thank you for uh, tuning in. We apologize for having it late. I was coming back from Palm Springs, so we didn't get to do the show Monday morning, but it'll be get it up. This will be up Monday uh, early evening. So, but thanks again, Dan. I enjoyed it. Thank you, Ron. All right, everyone else. Thanks again for tuning into the Parastyle Podcast. Hope you enjoyed week one of USC Spring Football. We'll be back again next week talking more about USC Trojan football team. You've been listening to the Parastyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on parastylepodcast.com or search for Parastyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. (laughs) 